0: Uh, thanks to those of you who joined us on 4th of July weekend. It is great to see you. It's always a lot of fun to celebrate. 4th of July has always been uh, one of my favorite holidays, mostly because uh, my birthday comes next. I'm born, My birthday is on Wednesday, so it kind of got rolled into one, so I always thought maybe they were birth, or, uh, fireworks for my birthday. It's kind of the way I thought about it when I was a kid. But it, even when we came here, it's just awesome to be able to celebrate with our community and to be able to meet new people. So like we talked about the last few weeks, uh, if you would want to be a part of celebrating 4th of July here with us, we would love. To have you. Um, I'm seeing a few new faces here, so I want to get us caught up to where we're at because we're in week eight of our summer series, okay? This is going to take us through the end of this month, and then we'll shift gears in August, but our summer series is called Soundtracks, and the tagline is the truth you believe will produce the fruit you see. And so what we mean by that is we're kind of going through and understanding what's going on in the book of Luke. You get to uh, Luke 6, and we get to verses 45 to 43, and Jesus starts to talk about the treasure that we store in our hearts and our minds, and how that then overflows to how we live our life and so the way we think about that is with a soundtrack just to kind of give us a little bit of a soundbite to kind of remember this and kind of put it into practice and the way we're kind of talking about this is that we would say that the soundtrack plays a huge role in how you understand the story and so the analogy we've gone back to time and time again is that when you watch a movie, when you watch TV, and there's soundtrack, there's a, there's music behind the scene, it sets the tone, literally, for how you're supposed to understand that. And what we would say, and what I believe Jesus teaches, is that when we... Think about the things that we would put in our mind over and over and over again, whether we've put it there or our parents put it there or teachers put it there. The things that we keep as true in our lives will influence the way that we live out the things that unfold around us and how we will perceive things that unfold around us. So when that, when we think about that, Jesus starts talking about fruit. In Luke 6, and so when we think about the fruit of our lives, we can go to the fruit of the Spirit, and so when we think about that, we go to Galatians 5, verses 22 to 23. It says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law. Against these things, and so we're going to talk about faithfulness today. And the way that we kind of connect this is we say when we think about what Jesus taught us that the treasure we keep, the truth we keep in our hearts and minds, is going to then overflow to the way we live. We then give the Holy Spirit the ability, the uh, the way to kind of then move through our lives and produce these things. And so we've gone through the first few already. So if you haven't been here with us, you can go back on YouTube or listen wherever you get your podcasts, and you can listen to those. But today we're going to talk about faithfulness. And so, the way we've couched this, and Art's still here because he's going to share a testimony with us in a little bit, which I'm excited to hear. But the way that we've done this is we've started with a lie, right? Because if we're not believing truth, we're going to start with a lie. If it's keeping us from living out this aspect of our lives or not allowing the Holy Spirit to move in this way, and then in a little bit, I'll give you a truth, all right? So, here's the lie for today I have to see the fruit in order to be faithful. That's how I would say. I have to see the fruit in order to be faithful. Now, when we, I, we put the word faithfulness up there, we can think about it in a lot of different contexts, right? We can think about it in a lot of different ways. Maybe the first thing that comes to mind, one of the first things that comes to my mind is in marriage, right? We want, we want to be faithful in marriage. But here's what happens. And I've, I've had this happen different times as a pastor. You have different conversations with different people that are married and going through different things and having different conversations. And at some point, sometimes... People will look back at me if I'm doing counseling or having a conversation and they'll say, well, I would put in the effort if I thought they would do the work too. And so there's that idea of I I will be faithful to this relationship if they will be faithful back. Or I'll be faithful at my job if I know my boss is going to give me a raise or a promotion. I'll be faithful in whatever way if I know what's going to happen because of it. And so if we can see the outcome or we can perceive an outcome, we might say, yeah, I'll be faithful in that. And then we'll pursue that. But what I'm talking what we're talking about today is faithfulness sometimes is just that act of being faithful to something, even when we can't see the other side. Um, I remember a time when I was a kid, I was, you guys know, I like sports. And so if you've heard me talk for a little bit, um, I grew up playing soccer and all kinds of stuff. And so I played soccer as a little kid and I got to be a freshman in high school. And I was the shortest, slowest kid on the team, okay? And it's okay. You can laugh at that if you want. I heard something like Snickers. You're like, you're like, do I want to laugh at Pastor Corey being short and slow? I don't know. No, I'm still short and slow. So it's just nothing to But I, I got into being a freshman, and all of a sudden, I had to keep up with the kids that were taller and faster, and there was a lot of running. And you've heard me say this a million times. I hate running. I would rather be on skates. But I, I, would, I had to run, right? That was one of the things we had to do, okay? And so I remember getting a few weeks into being uh, on this team, And I was running and running and running crazy, and I hated it, and I hated it, and I hated it. And I came home one day, and I wanted to quit. And I said, I'm done. I don't want to do it. And my dad wouldn't let me. Thanks a lot. So he wouldn't let me do it because he he knew that if I quit then as a freshman just in the first couple weeks of preseason, I would regret it. But I couldn't see the fruit that would come. Well, then fast forward like a couple weeks later, and I score my first freshman goal, and I get in the car, and I'm so excited that I didn't actually quit right? Maybe you have a story like that. I didn't know what the fruit was going to be, right? I didn't know if I'd ever score a goal or ever, whatever I get playing time, whatever it would be. I didn't know, but I had to be faithful in it in order to get to that point. And if it was all about the fruit I didn't see, I never would have been faithful in that way. And so I want us to think about faithfulness in this way. And and as we have this conversation, I'm just going to set up for you. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about what it means to be faithful with our bank accounts, and what that looks like, and what that means from Scripture. Okay, So I'm going to set us up. I'm going to put the ball in a nice tee for you, Art, and then you're going to hit it for us. All okay. right. So Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Luke 16, and we're going to start in verse 10. Uh, By the way, you can follow along on the screen. We'll have the verses up here for you. Or if you'd like to follow along with us on our website, you can get all the verses and all the notes there. Um, On the back of your Next Steps card, there's a little QR code or there's a QR code on the screen. If you scan that, it'll take you to our website and you can get all the verses and notes right there on your phone or your tablet if you'd like. But uh, again, you can follow along in your Bible or on the screen. So Luke 16, starting verse 10, this is what it says. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. Now, just stop and think about that for just a minute, okay? Jesus tells a parable, and this is his next sentence. Now, this is not unique to Scripture, right? Even if you're not a follower of Jesus or you take Jesus completely out of the equation, if you just say this, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. This makes complete sense. You give somebody a little bit of responsibility, then a little more, then a little more, then a little more. You build it up, okay? So this just makes absolute sense. And when, th- when this, is, this process is not carried, like if there, people feel like you jump from one situation to the next without the proper channels, that's when we start to get a little bit like, ah, is this person going to be okay? Because we understand this principle to be true. He goes on, but if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Verses 11 and 12. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? Now, full stop. Look what Jesus just did he goes if you trust it with a little bit you can be trusted with a lot and he immediately switches gears and goes into this idea of finance and he creates this dichotomy right away he goes if you're if you are untrustworthy with worldly wealth what does that mean money things possessions all of that stuff if you're untrustworthy there who will trust you with true riches of heaven so he creates this dichotomy and he goes here's where like the riches of the world are which we understand a little bit better and he goes the riches of heaven are way up here He goes, if you want to understand and get really the full understanding of this way up here, you've got to be good down here. But he creates this distance between the two and says, this one is way better. The heavenly wealth is way better over here. He says, if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Verse 13. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money, verses fourteen and fifteen. The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard all of this and scoffed at him. Then he said to them, "You like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God." So here's what I wants to get right. We start this idea of faithfulness. Where does Jesus go immediately when he starts talking about faithfulness? He switches to finance. And he starts to talk about this. Why? This is why I think he does this. Because faithfulness with money is one of the most difficult aspects of our faith journey. Think about it this way, okay? If you go and buy something at the store, you can probably return it. So maybe you spent that money, maybe you didn't. Right, Because you go buy it, you bring it home You like it, you don't, it doesn't work whatever. Like you, you can take it back And you can get your money back for that So you know if it's not worth it to you You can get your money back If you're going to give your time to something If you're going to volunteer or something like that You can do that and put a time stamp on it And say, okay, after a year I'm just going to pull back And then I don't have to do this ever again But here's what we know about our money If we give it away, it's gone And we can't get it back And so that sinks into us a little bit more if we think it's not worth it, we can't just always go and say, can you give me that back? Can I can I return what I just invested, right? We think about this differently. And I think, honestly, when we think about this idea of faithfulness, if we can get it right with, from the aspect of money, it will flow into the rest of our lives. Because I think money is one of those things that we hold so closely and differently. I already know that if I had stood up here and said, we're going to talk about not saying swear words, or we're going to talk about not having sex outside of marriage. Or we're going to talk, you would be much more comfortable with that conversation than you are right now. But why? It's because of this fact, that this is one of the hardest things for us to do. So, Art, I would love for you to share your testimony sure. of what you and Mim have discovered in this area of your life. Well, good morning again. Some of you
1: were here back in 2017 when I shared a testimony on our giving journey. This morning I'm sharing it again as Pastor Corey feels it ties in with his message on giving. I don't have our pastor's talent to be able to look at a few notes and then proceed with the message, so I'm using my notes to keep from rambling or losing my place. One of our pastor's scripture, as we just saw, was from Luke 16, verse 11. And it says, so if you have been trustworthy, not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? While Mem and I wouldn't call our finances wealth, I know that we were not handling our finances as Scripture was calling us to do. We were a family of five with three kids and knowing that a fourth, not knowing a fourth would come along later, our pastor and the Lord we're, stri- we're stirring up my spirit in a lot of areas. One of those areas had to do with our Christian giving. Okay, let's look here at Malachi. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Malachi 310. Okay, we'll go back to this shortly. Well, right about then, DuPont transferred us from Pennsylvania to Detroit. My approach up to this point in giving had been to add another dollar to our weekly giving envelope every year when I got a pay increase. But that left a big gap to reach a tithe. And the Lord was definitely stirring me in that direction. So when my next pay increase came, we decided to give it all to get up to the tithe that Malachi calls for. Along with moving to a tithe, we decided to do our giving on the first Sunday of every month so we wouldn't be tempted to delay when our budget got tight. Not long after we had started tithing, I came across a paperback book which focused on Luke 6, verse 38. Let's look at that. Given it will be given unto you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Do you notice? Do you notice who is called on to act first? Clearly, you and I are called to give first and to open the way for the Lord to pour out his blessings. The book said that Luke six thirty eight was not limiting us to a tithe. Let's read what it says about no limits. It says, for the measure you give will be the measure you get back. There are no limits here. Well, I also learned from the book that what we give first may not be what the Lord returns to us. We may give first financially. But the Lord knows our needs. His blessings may come as finances, but he may bless us in different areas where we need love or health or improved relationships or a job or guidance in career decisions or in something else. He knows each one of our needs. We were in a small group in Detroit when one of our members heard about a traveling Bible teacher from Florida. He came to teach in churches and groups In our area we decided to invite him to come and lead one of our group meetings we knew that he depended on donations to cover his travel expense now I had a challenge we had just stretched ourselves to get to a tithe how could I make another donation well praise the Lord for that little book and its evidence of what happened to folks who acted upon Luke 638 even when it was beyond their means. So I put a $20 bill in the basket. About a week later, I got a call from the local stationery store. The caller apologized that they had billed us twice for the same item and had just found their error. She said they were sending me a check for $25. Okay, thank you, Lord. Some weeks later, passed, and the Bible teacher was back in Detroit. So we invited him again. This time I put $25 in the basket. Well, guess what happened? Within two weeks, I got a check from the local utility company saying they had made an error in billing and were refunding $28. Okay, Lord, I get the message. I understand what you will do when we act on what your word calls us to do. I began to recognize that not only could we give to our church, but the Lord could use our giving in many ways and we eased our way out beyond the tithe, and he blessed us. We were discovering that we could never outgive the Lord. Some years later, the Lord led me to take an early retirement from DuPont and take a new job. That change significantly improved our finances, and we made a decision to revisit Luke 6.38, where there are no limits, and we significantly increased our giving farther out, Beyond the tithe, the Lord has never left us wanting indeed he's made it possible to do some very special things. Well, when I finally retired, we didn't have as many dollars to give, but we decided to maintain our giving level at the same percentage and we continue to discover that we can't outgive the Lord that indeed he fulfills his promises in luke 638 let's look again at Malachi. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that never, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. It's very clear here that we are called to a full 10%. And again, we are called to give first. And when we do, that the Lord will quote, pour down an overflowing blessing, close quote. I saw here where it clearly says, bring the full tithes. It didn't say, Art, set aside some portion to cover taxes, then give from what's left over. It said, quote, bring the full tithes. Well, why are we called on in Malachi to bring the full tithes? Then in Luke, not to set boundaries on our giving, is it because the church has very real needs? There are very real needs, but there's a personal message about God's reaction to our giving that shouldn't be missed. So, why are we told to give our full tithes and then not be limited to a tithe? It seems pretty clear. In these two scriptures that we looked at, in both cases, it's simply because. The Lord wants to bless us when we follow his instructions on giving. Can you believe that? We did. We did. And we've discovered that the Lord is faithful to his promises. We had a golden, a wonderful golden retriever. We were blessed to get him as a puppy for free at a time when golden puppies were selling for hundreds of dollars. Mim and I, yeah, we would not have had money in our budget to buy that puppy When he passed, there were many tears. We decided we wanted another dog, but it had to be another Golden. One month later, after we lost our Golden, a Chinese friend of mine found himself in a jam, and he called me. He had committed to lead a five-day trip. His next-door neighbor, who had planned to take care of his yellow lab, couldn't do it. He called me and asked me if there's any way Mim and I could take care of Max for five days. We talked about it, and we told him we'd do it. Well, Max, the yellow lab, was a delight. We still thought we wanted a golden, but the Lord had a different plan. Our daughter's roommate mentioned to her sister that we had lost our golden and were looking for a replacement. The sister mentioned our search to her neighbor, a heavy rigged truck driver whose health had gone bad. He had a two-year-old yellow lab and he knew he needed to find a new home for him. One Friday night, we went over to meet the neighbor, and Ben the Yellow Lab came home with us. He, like our Golden, was a wonderful dog, and again, we cried tears when he passed away. So what's my point here? That Goldens and Yellow Labs make wonderful pets? Well, that's certainly been our experience, but the most important point is what happened when we agreed to take care of Max. We gave first of our time, our energy, and our home so our friend could lead his trip. And what happened? Exactly what Scripture says will happen. The Lord blessed us. Mim and I have learned from our journey of giving that we need to give first. We also recognize that when our income increases, we need to increase our giving. Since we retired, we no longer get annual pay increases. However... This year, because of high inflation in 2022, our Social Security payments went up 8.7%. That meant we needed to increase our giving to keep it at the same percentage of our income level. We made this adjustment. Let me take a moment to tell you about an area of our giving journey that has blessed us many times. Many years ago, we learned from a Brazilian missionary about his, quote, special fund. He had found himself telling various people that he would pray for them about their situations and needs. But there were times when he wished he could do something concrete. He had a prompting from the Lord to go a step further. He was led to set up a special fund so that when food or clothes or other needs existed, he had some resources to help to go along with his prayers. The Lord prompted us to also set up a special fund. And we've been blessed many, many times in being able to help someone put food on the table, pay rent, pay medical bills, have some financial resources when out of a job, et cetera, et cetera. We always ask that our financial help be received quietly without any public acknowledgement, as it says in Matthew 6, verses 2 to 4. Are you with me? Don't miss this. Quote. When you help, do it in a way that not even your closest friend will know about it. Your father sees what you do. End of quote from the Good News Bible translation. Okay, now, listen to this because there will be a question for you. One of those times when we were blessed happened because I had arranged for the church teens to have a car wash at the local bank parking lot as a way of raising money for the youth program. I introduced myself to Jerry who lived next to the bank and got her permission to hook up our hose to her outside faucet. She was very gracious in letting us do that and we washed a ton of cars. Sometime later, I learned from someone who lived in Jerry's neighborhood that she had suffered two losses. Some months ago, both her husband and her son had been killed in separate accidents. The Lord put it on my heart that she might have financial needs at this time. I procrastinated and didn't do anything for a while, but the Lord kept bringing it up in my thoughts. So, one late December day, snowy day, I sat down and wrote a check, and I put a little note with it, expressing my hope that Jerry could use it, and if so, would she please receive it quietly? And I quoted Matthew 6. Here's the gist of the note I got back. Art, I can't thank you personally because I would cry too many tears over what happened. How could you have known? Your check arrived just as my rent was due, and my daughters and I had no way to pay it, even with the three jobs I was working. Thanks to you, our rent is paid, and we were able to afford a Christmas dinner. When I can better control my feelings, I'd like to thank you personally. For now, please accept this note. Jerry. Okay. I told you there was a question. Here's your question. Think about what happened here. Who gave first? Who gave first? Anyone? Jerry, of course. The answer is Jerry. She did. She very graciously allowed us to hook up to her outside faucet, and she donated the water, and we used a lot. How did I happen to know about her family tragedies? Because her neighbor knew me and knew that the teens and I in the church had benefited from her generosity. Do you think that was a coincidence? Was it a coincidence that in December, near the end of the year, there was still money left in our special fund? No, no. These were not coincidences. It was simply the Lord's way of showing us that he's around 24 hours a day. And it was another example of what the Lord will do when we are willing to follow his word in Luke 6.38. And give first, as Jerry did from her home resources. Folks, many thanks for your attention. I've shared some, not all of our giving journey with you. I pray the Lord will bless you and guide you as you consider what he calls each of us to do with our giving decisions. Aligning our giving with what scripture calls us to do can be difficult, but it comes with rewarding promises from the Lord. Amen. Now let's get back to Pastor Corey's message.
0: Thank Art for giving us part of his story. Mm -hmm. So good. Um, So here's what I want to. Okay, we heard from Art. I set this up a little bit. I want to. I want to walk us through what does this mean? Okay, because some of us I get. Like we read that verse from Malachi, and we hear ten percent, and we go, "Ooh, I don't know how that works." Right? I know what my finances are. So, so what do I do if I find myself there? I want to walk us through what that can mean with our last few minutes together. So I want to start in 2 Corinthians. Okay, we're going to 2 Corinthians 9. I'm going to share verses 9 uh, through 8 with us. This is what it says. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Verse 7, you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives Cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Now, let me pause for a minute because this is where, as a pastor, you start to worry about those people that are on late night television and tell you to give so you can get stuff. Okay? Because when somebody stands up on a church stage and starts talking about giving us your money or giving your money somewhere, things get all kind of crazy. And it's one of those things that people outside of church or people that have been hurt by church, they look back and they go, see, look, they're trying to make these promises and all these things. And here's what I want to say, okay? First of all, I believe what Art said is true, and I believe the scriptures he read are true. But I want us to understand what's being said here. It says, and God will generously provide all you need not all you want right and so when we hear those messages about here give this and get this back or give this much and you'll get this or get right we we got to pause there and go it'll be what we need and then he goes on and says then you'll always have everything you need same thing and plenty left over for what to share with others So there's a difference here in saying we're not giving to get rich. We're giving and trusting God and he will provide for us and trusting him to provide. And then also being able to provide for others. And in verse 9 it says, as the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered. Here's the first thing I want us to remember. Faithfulness is rewarded. And we just heard that from Art's story. When we give faithfully, when we trust God in those situations, he gives back. He rewards that and sees that and honors that. Now, keeping going, right? Second Samuel verse, uh, start in chapter twenty-four, verse eighteen. We're gonna bounce around a little bit. Second Samuel twenty-four, eighteen. This is what it says: That day, Gad came to David and said to him, "Go up and build an altar to the Lord in on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite." Verses nineteen and twenty. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him. And Aruna saw the king and his men coming toward him. He came and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. He said this in verse twenty one, Why have you come, my lord the king? Aruna asked. And David replied, I have come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the Lord there, so that he will stop the plague. The whole nation had been in a plague. And so David gets this message, he said, and God says, Go build this altar, the plague will end. So he comes forward, and Aruna sees him coming. He goes, Why are you coming? So then in verses twenty-two and twenty-three, it says this, Take it. My lord, the king, and use it as you wish, Aruna said to David. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and you can use the threshing boards and ox yokes for wood to build a fire on the altar, and I will give it all to you, your majesty, and may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. And in verse 24 it says, But the king replied to Aruna, No, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have not cost me anything. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. Now, two things here. Who gave first? Aruna did. Just like Art talked about. Right? He sees David coming. He goes to have the conversation. David says, this is what we're going to do. He says, no, you take it. It's yours. Do with it what you're going to do with it. It's God's. I don't want it. And David comes back and says, no, no, no. I'm not going to give something that didn't cost me anything. Here's the second thing. Faithfulness is sacrificial. When we come and we say, I'm going to be faithful to God, it's going to cost us something. When I come and I say, I'm going to be faithful to my wife, it's going to cost me something. Right? It's going to cost us what we want to do or what our treasure is or whatever it is, that we would be faithful to God. Now, this is a unique challenge, okay? Because there might be those of us in the room, okay, who are at 10%, and it's not sacrificial. Think about that for a minute. It might not be. So what does it mean for us to be sacrificial in our giving and to have the same attitude as David? Here's the last verse I want to share with us. Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Here's the third thing I want us to know, okay? Faithfulness is not fulfillment of duty. Faithfulness is an act of worship. It's sacrificial, it's worship. It's saying to God, I am going to... Give you from what you've given me. And it's when we say sometimes on Sundays, we say, if you want to make giving part of your worship experience, like, that's what we mean. Like, that's part of the worship. Yes, you showed up on time. Yep. Yes, you sang to God. Yep. Yes, you listened to the word and tried to apply it. But there's this other part where we're saying we're going to give of our life to Jesus. And part of that is not just our breath or our minutes, our time, our energy. It's also our treasure. Our treasure. So let me remind us of our, our lie really quick, okay? I have to see the fruit in order to be faithful. Here's the truth I want us to understand. Faithless people won't fully experience the faithfulness of God. If we are faithless, if we say, I'm not going to do this, if we're a follower of Jesus, we will get to be with him in eternity. It's going to be. But remember what Jesus said. If we're not faithful with er- earthly wealth, right, we're not going to understand as much the riches of heaven when we invest our time and energy and resources into things and we get to heaven and we can see the results of that, listen, there is going to be clear lines drawn there for us. That we can see the lives we've influenced and the people we got to be a part of leading to Jesus and all of that stuff. And when we think about it this way, when we give our whole lives to him and we are faithful to God, we will fully understand his faithfulness. And sometimes I think this is true, okay? We will read stories about great faithful people that follow God, right? We'll read stories like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Bede. They were faithful to God, right? They were saying, don't bow down to the king and we're gonna worship God only and whatever. And we go, if God would ask us to do that, we would go into the lion's den too. And then we go, will you give of your money? And we go, I don't know about that one, (laughs) right? We think we put ourselves in a place where we go, I will follow God till the end. And then all of a sudden it affects our checkbook and we wanna pull away. And I'm saying that to me, too. Like, I'm not just saying it to you. Like, I'm saying it to me, too. Okay, trust me. So here's the question. Are you being faithful with what God has given you? Are you being faithful with what God has given you? Or have we held it too tightly? I want to put a resource up here that I created this, and I I know there are new faces in the room, so you can just kind of sit back. You'll learn something about our church today, okay? But for those of us who are in the room and a part of this team and a part of this family, we call Grace Family Church, I want to put something up here that's going to kind of maybe help us understand and maybe help us understand, okay, what's the next step literally I can take? Here's what this is. And some of you, I know it's kind of small. I'm sorry if it's hard to read. I will send an email this week, and you may even get a letter in the mail that has this, okay? But here's what this is. This is a graph that shows where the giving units are in our church okay and every step is about 10 ten dollar increments until you get about halfway up and then it starts to go a little bit more now here's the thing and a giving unit is any person or any couple that just gives at any point okay the biggest numbers are at the bottom and then as we go up, we get like four, five, one, four, ten. That ten is where it's actually where it jumps to twenty dollars. So it's really like five and four, or so five and five, or four, six, whatever you want to say. So here's what I get, right? We read Malachi, and if we're not at ten percent, we understand in our mind what that means, and that could feel very impossible. But the question is, what step can you take? So you start talking about weekly giving, and you start saying, "Oh, I, I can. Maybe I could start by just going up a step." There's another way to think about this, and this is really small, so I don't think you can actually be able to read it, but there's approximately 75 total giving units um, connected with GFC. Approximately 35 units give regularly. That's 47%. And what we would say is regularly is at least once a month. So of the people that are already giving, only 47% give once a month or more. So most of us aren't giving on a regular, what we would call a regular basis. So then the next one, there's less, you know, it's less than 40% are giving irregularly or sporadically, and then there are those of us who we would estimate are just a part of GFC and aren't giving at all. So when I say that, listen to me. I'm saying this because I love you and because I've seen this in my own life. You have to trust me. I know. Becca and I do this, okay? I promise you. If we're not being faithful, we're missing out on God's faithfulness to us. Now, yes, he's always faithful. He's going But you'll see the ways that he shows up. And it's not always financial. Like Art said, think about his story. He sends that lady a check, and then that lady writes him a note and says, how could you know? He didn't get money back, but he got the blessing of saying, I reached out because I'm a follower of Jesus, and I provided for someone that needed it. That was worth more than your money, wasn't it? So that's how he's faithful. He says, I'll use you. If you just do it. Trust me. I'll use you. And I, I believe this deeply. Now let's go back to Luke 16 just for a second, and then I'll wrap, okay? Luke 16 verses 14 and 15 say this. The Pharisees, look what I highlight, who dearly loved their money. They got two things wrong here. First of all, they loved the money. That's a problem. Right? Sometimes people misquote that verse. They say the, the root of evil is money. No, no, no. The love of money is the root of evil. Here's the second thing. Whose money did they think it was? Theirs. It's not. When we look at what God has given us, we have to see it as not ours. He's given it to us to provide for our families. He's given it to us so we can Put food on the table. He's given it to us so we have a place to live. He's given it to us so we have clothes. He's given it to us so we can do fun things like go on vacation. We can enjoy our time together and build relationships with people. He's given it all the—but it's his. And so when he says, give it back to me so I can do it for, and help other people, so I can be a blessing to others, we have to say yes to that and understand the faithfulness there. You, you might be saying to me, okay, Pastor Corey, I hear you, right? And I heard Art. What would it look like? I want to give you two stories real quick, okay? Really fast. First of all, if you were here about a month ago, we had baptisms. There was a girl named Jenna. Jenna got saved at CrossNet, but got baptized here. CrossNet is a a ministry right in town that has social services, and they run kids' events, and they have a food bank, right, and all that stuff. And so we support CrossNet financially every year. She gets to know Jesus at CrossNet. She gets baptized because she's a regular part of GFC. That's because we're willing to say, we'll give to that. We'll support them so they can have youth, youth things that they go to, and they get to have people that come and tell people about Jesus. Jenna's proved that. Here's the second thing. Way back at the end of the year, we challenged you guys to give because there's a church in Philadelphia that needed a new roof. And we were able to give $2,000 to that project. They, they came to our fellowship of churches in the area and said, we need $20,000 to put a new roof on, but we really need more money to be able to fix all the other things. But the roof is the start. We need a new roof or we're in trouble. So they said, $20,000. So we reached out to everybody. We just wrote them, a, we, not we, but the fellowship just wrote them a check for $30,000. Why? Because churches and people said, we will give to that. So that they can keep telling people about Jesus. So, what happens? Listen, we're not hoarding your money. Please, when we get to the end of the year, please give me money left over that I have to say, we have to give this away to somebody, right? <laughs> let's give more to Cross now. Let's give more to the factory. Let's give more. Let's find a missionary the Barlows and give them that, right? Like, let's. Do, but we've got to be faithful. And so, if, if you're thinking about what that means, I understand. Just start somewhere, be faithful to God. Give from what he's given you and see what God will do. Here's what I want you to do, okay? And, and I don't ask, uh, usually, if you're here as a part of GFC, I don't usually ask you to do anything. Like, I don't ask you to physically do anything. I always feel awkward when pastors ask to do that, so I usually don't do it. But here's what I want you to do, okay? As a giving unit, wherever you, whether it's, yours, you're just, it's just you or your married couple or whatever, I want you to grab one of these, okay? It's in the chair in front of you. Just take one, okay? I'm not going to ask you to do anything today. I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. I'm not going to ask you to pledge any money. Okay, we're not going there, okay? So don't freak out at me, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write this question down. Does your theology of money faithfully worship Jesus? What does that mean? Does what you believe about money worship Jesus? Does your bank account worship Jesus? Or does it worship you? Now here's what I want you to do. You take this card, you write that down. And you have to have this conversation either with yourself as you pray or you have to have that conversation with your spouse and say, are we doing this? Or have we said it's more important to us? Now, if you're a visitor with us, no pressure to you to do this here. But I would challenge you, do it wherever's right for you. If you have another church that you call home, bless them. get back to God that way. But if this question, is our theology of money faithful, do we worship Jesus with what he's given us? If the answer is yes, then you're right where God needs you. Like, that's a possibility. That you, your answer may be yes. And if you can say that and you're, and you're comfortable with that, this is where God's led you, perfect. I'm glad you're there. No need to change. But if the answer is no, then you got to decide. Like the verse said, what is it you're going to do about it? how will it change the way that you see what God has given to you? Would you pray with me? Jesus' topic is 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 hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for everybody because we value stuff a lot. And God, I know that even as we have this conversation, even as we leave this room and maybe we sit down and we think about this and we think about maybe going up the next step, what we're going to be tempted to think is, are you going to show up, God, if I give a little bit more? When really the root of that question is, am I willing to worship you more than I already am? And God, I pray that this would not be a twisting of the arm. that This would, this would just be an honest conversation where we say, am I worshiping Jesus with my finances? And if we're not, what's the change that I'm going to make to say that I am? Jesus, I pray ultimately, like our story, that we would see your faithfulness in ways that we could never have comprehended if we didn't step out in faithfulness to you. I pray that we would give first. In Jesus' name, amen.